Good morning. How many of you wish it was January now? <laughs> A few of you. Dave Weiland and John Ritzke and I have a running battle. I love hot weather, and they love cold weather. So uh, this is my kind of weather. I, I love this. Um, this is what I dream about when it's 20 below and I'm shivering in my car on the way to work. Uh, Canaples never have to worry about that anymore, so that's good. I want to beg your pardon for a few of you who have heard part of this sermon before but I think we can learn something even on listening to it the second time. When you think of the Marines, what automatically comes to your mind? The name of the sermon, Semper Fidelis. It's the motto of the Marine Corps. Do you know what it means? What does it mean? Always what? Always Faithful. There's another word that's similar to fidelis. And what is that? Fidelity in English today. Always faithful. I was talking to one of my patients just last week who was leaving for Afghanistan for the third or fourth time. And I asked him what he thought about what he was doing there. And I guess I was fishing for do you think that you're doing good? What do you think you're doing there in the way of uh, um, value for the people? And you know what his answer was? I just do what I'm told to do and do it as well as I can. Semper Fidelis. That should stand for us as Seventh-day Adventist Christians as well. In Revelation 12:17, if you want to turn there, a fight is brewing. The dragon, otherwise known as Satan, is itching for a fight with the woman, otherwise known as God's church. What is interesting are John's words to describe the church, those who keep the commandments of God. You might say, why is that so interesting? I thought we were supposed to keep God's commandments. Semper Fi, remember? Two things kind of hit me as I thought about that. Number one, if you can turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 20 and 24. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And verse 24 being just, uh, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. We all understand that it's God's grace that provides our salvation. Yet why did God describe God's true church as commandment keepers here? There's got to be a reason, something he was trying to put across to us. Point two is that there's a scientific law that says for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. If God categorizes his true church, or the pure woman, as keeping God's commandments, he does so with the thought in mind that this is what sets them apart from the world in general. In other words, most of the world has chosen not to keep them, or at least not to keep some of them. 
Here in Revelation 12, 17, those who are loyal to God are called commandment keepers. They do what God has asked. Their orders are clear. They follow their commandments, their commander's orders. Semper Fi. Now remember the fight we talked about in Revelation 12, 17. It is described in Revelation 14 in much more detail. It's called the three angels' messages. Now I remember as a kid, now I guess I don't do this anymore because I realized that it probably wasn't the best thing necessarily to do, but I used to watch occasionally all-star wrestling. I won't ask how many of you have ever watched that. As a kid, I thought that was pretty cool. And I'll describe to you the scene. The announcer would grab the mid-ring microphone. Remember the microphone that hangs down? And he'd reach up and he'd pull that down and he would uh, uh, suddenly introduce the two fighters who were going to be fighting. And I'm going to use real names of people that I watched back then. And he would say something like this. In this corner, wearing the blue trunks, weighing 279 pounds, is Bobo Brazil. And in this corner, wearing red trunks and weighing in at 265, is Leo Namalini. Those were two of the very popular wrestlers back in the 50s and 60s. It was accompanied by a lot of yelling and screaming from the audience. You know how it goes. They're all ready for this to go. And it was very impressive to a little, little kid. I want you to look at Revelation 14. Can't you just hear the angel announcer here in Revelation 14, 6 and 7, announcing to the world, not just a few ringside seats, the combatants in this fight? In one corner, weighing in as the creator of the universe, the one almighty God. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And in the other corner, Babylon the Great, trained by Satan himself. Wait a minute. As you read, this fight is rigged. It says, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And this is before the fight has even begun. So we have a choice of who to be loyal to and who to support. Either God, the winner, or Satan, the loser. Las Vegas bookies would love those odds, a million to none because it guarantees that God will win. But just to make doubly sure that people understand the odds and what's going to happen, the third angel describes the punishment of those who for some reason try to buck the odds and follow Satan. And we'll read verses 9 through 11 of Revelation 14. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. 
And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. The amazing and the astonishing thing is that despite these warnings and despite the odds, the majority will still follow Babylon. Though they will be loyal to the beast and disregard the commandments of God. You know, people don't like being shown up. So these followers who are going to choose that direction will then attempt to force those loyal to God to join their side. And if we just go back one chapter to Revelation 13, the last part, the lamb-like beast is portrayed. And it describes how those who follow the beast will try to force with economic and life-threatening laws to be on the losing side. You shake your head, don't you? Despite these trials, God's people, the ones again described in Revelation 14, 12, after the three angels' messages, as those who honor and keep his commandments, and they are seen as patiently enduring all those injustices that it mentioned in chapter 13, they're going to be heaped upon them. They are loyal and they are faithful. They are Semper Fi Christians. I was curious as I read the first angel's message, the call to the world to follow God instead of following Babylon and the beast. Could this message also have something to do with God's commandments? It's showing up in two other verses that we just read, 12.17 and 14.12. So let's do some biblical comparing for a minute and see what the first angel's message is saying to us. I want you to put your finger in your Bible at Revelation 14, and then I want you to turn back to Exodus 20, and I want you to put your finger there because we're going to compare those two. I'll give you a minute to turn to those Two texts. If you look carefully at Revelation 14, 7, there are four phrases in the first angel's message. Number one phrase is, fear God or Jehovah. Tell me what the first commandment is. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Fear God. He's the one to fear and follow. So you can see the very first part of Revelation 14 is basically a paraphrase of the first commandment. The second phrase in Revelation 14.7 is what? Give glory to him. And what's the second commandment? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images to give glory or worship to them. So far, the first and second phrases in Revelation are basically paraphrases of the first two commandments. Let's step to number four phrase just to see. 
we know that one because it's pretty clear. In Revelation 14, 7, it says, Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So let's see if our theory holds up. What's the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that in them is. So three out of four we're batting so far. Let's go back to the third one, because that's an interesting one, and it took me a minute to figure that one out. What's the third phrase in Revelation 14.7? For the hour of his judgment is come. Now let's read the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He will not hold him, what? Guiltless. What is that a phrase referring to? Judgment, isn't it? He will not hold him guiltless who does so. Now it only makes sense if there's another reading of thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I was always taught as a kid that that basically referred to swearing and to oaths and things like that. And that may be one of the, of the uh, parts of that commandment also. But you know, I really think that there's another part of the commandment that it means a lot more. In the New Testament, it calls people who follow Christ, what? Calls them Christians. And he says, if you're going to take my name, what are you supposed to do? Follow me. Live my life. So in that context, read that again. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, don't take it in vain. Don't just say you are unless you're actually going to follow and do God's works. And, and when is that time that comes that will tell you whether you really are following God or not in vain or in truth? It's the judgment. So you can see that each of the phrases in Revelation 14 is a paraphrase of the first four commandments. You see, the first angel's message is a call to the world to keep God's commandments, especially the first four not that it gains you salvation, but as a sign of loyalty to God. Semper Fi. That's what God is looking for. Men and women who are faithful and loyal to his marching orders. You'll notice that in Revelation 12, 17, it is the church or the woman that, Satan's attack, that Satan attacks. The church. The organized church stands as a symbol for God against the wickedness of the world. Satan will do whatever he can to try to make the church fall. Of course, the people are the church. We understand that. We're told in the great controversy that the church, the organized church, as a composite, will appear to almost fall. But God will sustain it and it will stand firm as a beacon of loyalty to the world. In fact, Zechariah 2.8, if you want to just write that down and look at it later on, pictures the Old Testament church as the apple of God's eye, whom he will protect from all other nations. 
The New Testament church is no different. As God has said in Matthew 21, 43, in that famous parable at the end, he said, I am taking the kingdom of heaven from my people in the Old Testament and giving it to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof, the church in the New Testament. The church is now the apple of God's eye. Is the church perfect? You and I are in it. <laughs> Again, is the church perfect? Of course not. But it is the institution that God has called to be the depository of his truth and to stand resolutely against Babylon in the last days. It is called the body of Christ with many spiritual gifts within it to do God's work. Let's never lose fact that even though our salvation is individual, there's a very important work that God has for the church body at large. Ellen White in various places describes a shaking that will take place within the church near the end days. In the index to her writings, here are how some of the titles are described in some of the different paragraphs. I'll only read seven, but there were hundreds about the shaking. Blows multitudes away like dry leaves. Ask ourselves, are we dry leaves within the church? Or are we green, living leaves? Number two, church, church must soon be purified by the shaking. That means that we aren't pure right now. But there will come a time when it will be purified by God. Number three, false theories will cause the shaking. Number four, has already begun. Number five, members leaving will be replaced by others coming in. That's basically the call of the fourth angel in Revelation, isn't it? Come out of her, my people, into my church. Number six, erroneous ideas cause people to be shaken out. And number seven, rejection of the Laodicean message will cause the shaking. Satan will cause every kind of deception and dissatisfaction to lead people out of the church. He has a thousand different ways, some blatant, some more subtle, but they all cause strife within the church and its members. It's nothing different than the things we read about in Paul's writings about the early church, is it? Paul's constant theme was unity of the church as we follow Christ. There will be those that leave. There will be those who get discouraged. There will be those who think they have a better way. But the church will stand, as the old saying comes, come hell or high water. Because it is the representative of God here on earth. There has to be a pure woman to offset the harlot of Revelation. We can either move forward in unity to fulfill the purpose of the church, or we can be shaken out into Babylon. But remember, who wins the battle? The Bible is very clear about that in Revelation, isn't it? 
We already know who the winner of the battle is. I, for one, want to be a God-fearing Christian Marine whose motto is Semper Fidelis, whose badge of loyalty is my relationship with God as pictured in the first four commandments. It doesn't save me, but it shows the world who my master is. I hope you feel the same. Semper Fi. Our Father in heaven, we pray that each one of us here may follow those orders in such a way that we can prove to the world that you are our master, that we are loyal to you. We know that we are weak. We know that we fall. But we also know that you're there to pick us back up and that as we follow you each and every day, we want to be always faithful. We want you to lead us each day. And we're willing to be led wherever you want us to because we know that you have a plan for us and you have a plan for the church. Be with us during the coming week and bless us and guide us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.